Well, I know that the kids are in here today, and so I think we should start with a little um, audience participation from anybody under 11 years old, okay? You have to be under 11. Now, if you're 11 and you're thinking to yourself, I'm left out, that's true. <laughs> and so you're going to have to, uh, you have to live with that one, but because you're 11 or older, you're no doubt on the verge of becoming an adult and are more mature and you can handle it anyway. Fair enough? Okay. So if you're 10 or under, you can answer the questions. First of all, I want someone, someone to come up with an answer for me about what it is that Jesus did for us. Some blessing. You can raise your hand and wave it if you need to so that I see you. I want to know what it is that Jesus did for us. Like, I know that he died on the cross... Okay, so what is it that Jesus dying on the cross does for us? Curtis is sitting here with this expectant look on his face. He wants to blurt out the answers, but we're not going to let him. Okay, you got to be ten or under. What is it that Jesus dying on the cross does for us? David? He saved our sins. Now, I, I don't think you mean that he put them in a bank account. Okay, but you do mean that he saved us from our sins. Is that right? You're exactly right, David. Way to go. Good job. Yeah, very good. Okay, somebody else, 10 or under, what else that Jesus does besides save us from our sins? Yes. He forgives us. The word forgiveness is different from the word saves us, and you're exactly right. He forgives us. He saves us. Good answers. Okay? Very good. Somebody other than a child named Lim. Okay? Ten or under. What else did Jesus do for us? Yes. He definitely loves us. No doubt about it. Love is one of the best things he does for us. Go ahead, Silas. He gave us great mom and dads. Indeed. You're exactly right. Now, the rest of the parents are going, why didn't you say that? <laughs> what else does Jesus do for us? Anything else? I'll take one more if we have it. If we don't, ooh, then there's lots of teaching that can go on. Okay. Cleve, let's go. We can turn on the... Uh, the PowerPoint this morning, what does Christ offer us? And the fact is that there are lots of things that Jesus does for us. We're going to look at some very specific things, or really one specific thing in a little while. But what I wanted to do here was just at the beginning catalog a bunch of things that Jesus does for us. And anybody who's 10 or under can get this. Oh, did you have your hand up earlier and I didn't see it? But you got it up now. Go ahead, lay it on us. What is it? He does teach us indeed. He, through his word... Through his presence, he teaches us in lots of ways. You are exactly right. Thank you for sharing that, too. Very good. So the, there are a number of things that Jesus does for us. Next slide. One of these is eternal life. The kids didn't say exactly those words, but we were kind of headed there. Saves us from our sins. He forgives us. And eternal life is the result. And so if I ask all the adults this morning, 
I said, what is it that God does for us through Jesus? It's a very good chance that somebody at some point is going to say eternal life because that's one of the biggies. Now, there are some things that kind of go along with this blessing of eternal life. Next slide. For example, hope for the dying. I announced last week that uh, Elise Bryan, who is one of our members, has been in the hospital for weeks now and that she has bone cancer and the fact is they don't expect her to make it. And it's, you know, it's hard for us when we hear things like that. But there has got to be some comfort in knowing that Jesus Christ has saved you from your sins. And that is exactly what Elise said to me in the hospital last week. She hasn't been a Christian all that long. And as she was lying in her hospital bed last week, she said to me that there is great comfort in her knowing where she's going. She knows what Christ has done for her. Next slide. There is peace for those who are losing loved ones. We don't know who the next loved one will be. But when it happens, it's going to hurt. And God says that he will give us peace at times like that. Next slide. There is transcending of death for us. And this is the beautiful thing about eternal life, that we live out life here, and when it's over, God gives us a life with him forever. And so we have the chance to transcend death. Next slide. There's, in fact, the overcoming of all the death-like elements in our world. Whether we're talking about hurting or loneliness or poverty, there's all these things. I've used this word before, the word moribund. Do you know what that means, Sherry? Most people don't. I didn't either until I read it in a book one day. Looked it up in a dictionary. And the word moribund means heading toward death. Death-like things. When things are moribund, they're dying. And there are a lot of moribund things in our world. They're heading toward death. And Jesus Christ promises eternal life, which defeats those things which are moribund. And so eternal life is one of the biggies. It's one of those blessings that Christ gives us in him. Next slide. We also have the privilege of relationship with God. We have a chance to know him, to be one with him, to have God be our father and for us to be his children and we can love him. And so next slide, there is ultimate love and community in the relationship that we have with God. Next slide, we have ultimate fulfillment in this relationship. So that if you ever think to yourself, I am lonely, I need someone, I wish that I had someone around me who loves me, the fact is is that Christ loves us and he gives us ultimate fulfillment in that way. A third thing, a big thing, next slide, that God does for us in giving us Christ is the Holy Spirit's power to live well. Next slide, we have the overcoming of the law of sin and death. Paul tells us that specifically in Romans chapter 8. And this law that says, I sin, I can't get away from sin, and therefore death holds me down. We get away from this law through Jesus. Next slide, we have the overcoming of the rule of the evil one. If there's anything that makes our lives more abundant anyway, it's the presence of Satan in our world. And one of the things that God does through his Holy Spirit is to defeat Satan. And so the one who is in you is greater than he who is in the world, Scripture says. Next slide. We have the opportunity to submit to the Spirit's control. 
where without Christ, there's no opportunity to submit to the Spirit's control at all. And so John Coughlin can overcome drinking because the Holy Spirit works in his life. But he couldn't do that without the power of the Holy Spirit working within him. So the Spirit begins to control us, and we have a chance to submit to the Spirit because the Spirit is there working through Christ. Next slide, there is power to exercise our gifts. And so whatever gift it is that God has blessed you with, you have the ability to use that for his glory in the kingdom. Next slide, there is power to impact our world with God's kingdom. All of this coming under the heading of the Holy Spirit's power available to us because of Jesus. And then the next major kind of point here, next slide, is the notion of community. We have community in Jesus. He puts us in a family. He makes us part of this wonderful family, which is the church, which means, next slide, sense of being loved by fellow humans. We want to be loved, and indeed we are because of the community. Next slide, because of that, there's a sense of belongingness that is ours in Jesus. I don't know how many times in my life that people have said to me, if it wasn't for the church and the fact that I belong to Jesus and we belong to each other, I don't know what I'd do. And it's true. We need each other. And God has given each other to us. And so there's a sense of belongingness. Stuart and Sandy Knoll with their family are sitting back here. They used to attend the Burnaby Church of Christ. I used to see them all the time. Stayed in their house years and years ago when I was over speaking at Burnaby. And Stuart calls last night and he says, Is this the Kelly Carter that used to preach in Victoria? Is that who this is? And his girls are in the back are going, Man, my dad's a nerd. But when he said to me, this is Stuart Knoll. Like I didn't just think, oh, that's nice. I thought to myself, this brother of mine and his family have come to town. And I'm going to have a chance to see them. I'm going to have a chance to experience their presence with me on, in worship on Sunday morning. Because we belong to each other. And he and his family live in Australia now. That's a long ways away. But we have a chance to belong to one another. In fact, one of the major reasons, I'm sure, why they came back from Australia at this time of year is that their daughters can go to Spruceton Road Bible Camp out on the island where they sense belonging and community. Christ gives us that, and it's a wonderful thing that he does. So there's belongingness that is ours in Christ. Next slide. There's this sharing life and faith with others. Don't we love it when we have a chance to just kind of be with each other and enjoy each other's lives and communicate and commune with one another? Next slide. We have others whose needs we can meet, which is a great blessing. We think of what, of what it means for us to, to serve and to share and to meet one another's needs. Normally, the world thinks that to have my needs met, that's the great blessing. But we have great blessing in being able to, to meet others' needs and to share our faith with them. Sherry's over here nodding, and I'm just thinking about what kind of community and opportunity she must have experienced in Uganda with the chance to serve others and what a blessing that was for her, her life. We have, next slide, the opportunity to have others meet our needs. And there are some of you that we've helped in material ways, but most often we bless each other spiritually and communally and relationally. Build each other up. All those are things that Christ does with us in community. Next slide. We know that we are ready to, uh, um, that there are those ready to meet our needs. And as they meet our needs, uh, the church is just there, qualified, anxious, waiting, prepared to do so. 
And so Christ has infected our hearts. He's altered our hearts, chained us so, so that we're ready to and looking forward to the opportunities to serve. Next slide. We know that there are those who will join us in worship and prayer and service in our world. And so when we gather on Sunday morning and we're worshiping together, God has blessed us with that opportunity of, of just praying and praising him together. Next slide. Another major way in which Christ has blessed us is a confidence about our world and life. Next slide. Life tumbles in sometimes. And when it does, what do you do? Troubles approach us. But God blesses us with the ability to get through troubles. And I actually have some confidence about my world, even though the world sometimes it goes in strange directions. So next slide, ultimately I know that God is going to bless us, that he's working for our good, he's working for the good of things, and next slide, the world's destiny is under his control. Ultimately, the world is under God's control. And so I look at things and I think, well, this is not going great, this isn't exactly as I wanted, but ultimately God is the one who is in control. So there are all kinds of things that we receive in Jesus. And we've just listed some of the major ones this morning that God does for us in Jesus Christ. Now, I want you to turn to Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews chapter 9. Next slide. What is it? Does Christ, that Christ offers us. Hebrews chapter 9, look at verse 1 and read along with me. Now the first covenant had regulations for worship and also an earthly sanctuary. A tabernacle was set up and in its first room there was a lampstand, the table, the consecrated bread and this was called the holy place. Behind the second curtain was a room called the Most Holy Place, which had the golden altar of incense and the golden covered Ark of the Covenant. The Ark contained the gold jar of manna, Aaron's staff that had budded, and the stone tablets of the covenant. Above the Ark were the cherubim of the glory, overshadowing the atonement cover, but we cannot discuss these things in detail now. Now what's happening there is that the, he's talking about Israel and its relationship with God, and he wants to kind of just make sure that he and the people to whom he's writing are on the same page. As he says, he doesn't have time to discuss all those things right now, but he wants to make sure that they're aware that we're talking here about Israel and its relationship with God and the elements that comprise that relationship. What is it, and this is really the question that he's asking, what is it that made this relationship with God what it is? And when it came down to it, it was these elements that were in the temple, it was the style of worship with which they approached God and it was the forgiveness of sins and the style of forgiveness that was theirs that made Israel's religion with God what it was. So he's setting us up here for an argument about the superiority of Christ and what it is that makes Christ special, first laying out what set Christ and the new covenant apart from the old. So verse 6, when everything had been arranged like this, the priests entered regularly into the outer room to carry on their ministry. But only the high priest entered the inner room, and that only once a year, and never without blood, which he offered for himself and for the sins of the people had committed in ignorance. 
the Holy Spirit was showing by this that the way into the most holy place had not yet been disclosed as long as the first tabernacle was still standing. Now, that's a long way of saying sins had not yet really been forgiven the way that God wanted ultimately to forgive sins. And so when you look at the old covenant, the relationship that God had with Israel, the writer is saying that it was insufficient. It wasn't what God ultimately wanted for his people. Verse 9. This is an illustration for the present time indicating that the gifts and sacrifices being offered were not able to clear the conscience of the worshiper. They are only a matter of food and drink and various ceremonial washings, external regulations applying until the time of the new order. But the new order is about to come. And that's what the Hebrew writer is really concerned about. And so he says in verse 11, When Christ came as high priest of the good things that are already here, he went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not man-made. That is to say, not a part of this creation. He did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood, having obtained eternal redemption. The blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkled on those who are ceremonially unclean sanctify them so that they are outwardly clean. How much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God? Now, if you're under 10, if you're under 11 at this point, I've totally lost you. Okay, I'm hoping that those who are 11 plus are somehow able to stick with the reading here. Way to go. I'm glad you did. The point is, is that God wants very much for a special relationship to exist between himself and his people. But the old covenant could not build that kind of relationship. There were things that just weren't there in the relationship between God and his people when it was the blood of bulls and goats that were being sacrificed for sins. And there are several problems here. The bottom line is that God's covenant with Israel was insufficient for doing all the things that God wanted to have happen. So you look at the screen and it says here, what does Christ offer? He offers perpetual, eternal, final, once for all, forgiveness of our sins and sinfulness. Next slide. The old covenant could not clear the conscience. The old covenant couldn't clear the conscience. The sacrifice had to continually be made. Not only does the high priest go into the Holy of Holies once a year and he has to do that perpetually year after year, but all the time there are sacrifices that had to have been made for the sins of the people because the conscience of the people couldn't be cleared. Next slide. The Old Covenant offered only a temporary external cleansing. That's specifically what the text says, that there was no internal cleansing taking place in the life of the believer. And then next slide. The Old Covenant offered an inferior temporary emancipation. Somebody tell me what emancipation means. Shout it out. Freedom. And so there's a temporary kind of freedom that comes under the Old Covenant, but it's not this eternal kind of freedom that is ours in Jesus. Next slide. So what does Christ offer? 
Well, it's kind of like this. Ladies, do you ever have to do dishes after they've been cleaned once and then made dirty again? Ladies, do you ever have to vacuum the floor after it's already been vacuumed once? Like, did you vacuum it one time and it never had to be done again? Have you ever mowed the lawn and found that the grass grew back? Have you ever colored your hair only to find that indeed it was not an eternal coloring? Have you ever cleared your desk thinking, oh, my work is done and the work never came back again? Chances are the answer to all these questions is no. You probably have had to put makeup on, ladies, every morning. It doesn't just stay there. Guys, have you noticed that when you get up in the morning, the hair has grown back and you have to shave again? There's no perpetuity there. It's not perpetual. Wouldn't it be nice if you shaved once, guys, and it never grew back again? Now, there are some guys who are saying, well, it kind of happened with the top. You know? But ultimately, we would appreciate it if we didn't have that sense of these things coming back all the time. It'd be nice if it was kind of perpetual. Well, that's really the way it was with the sacrifices. Jesus does something different and new with his sacrifice on the cross. What is it that totally sets apart this new covenant from the old? It's that there's something permanent eternal, lasting with this new covenant that we have in Jesus. And so next slide. Chapter 9, verse 12. Look at it. He did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place. What's the text say? Once for all, by his own blood, having obtained eternal redemption. When Jesus offers his blood, it's not like shaving and finding the hair growing back. For the first time in the history of humankind, with the death of Jesus, there is eternal forgiveness. This is the one time when something perpetual actually takes place because of the sacrifice. It's not a sacrifice that has to be repeated. And so, we don't sacrifice animals here on Sunday mornings. Have you noticed that? Anybody sacrificed two doves lately? Anybody gone to sacrifice a sheep or a goat or a bull? No. Why don't we? Because Jesus has offered to us the perfect, complete, eternal sacrifice of himself in his blood, giving us life eternal, which is perpetual. Next slide. Look at verses 13 and 14. The blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkled on those who are ceremonially unclean sanctify them so that they are outwardly clean. But it's only outwardly clean. And so the text says, How much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death so that we might serve the living God? Next slide. What a beautiful thing. 
that we have the chance to serve a living God because of the perpetual, eternal sacrifice that has been offered by Christ on our behalf. And he offers it one time forever. You know, it's not uncommon for people to say to me, um, how come we don't get a second chance? How come it is that God gives us a life here to live and we don't get a second chance? But the fact is, we do get a second chance. God offers us, through Jesus, not just a second chance, but the ultimate, final, eternal second chance in Him to be redeemed. And so those who are weighed down by the guilt of their consciences, because the conscience is not cleared, have a chance to be forgiven and washed clean and to have the guilt taken away. Now, for many of us, this is pretty routine stuff. Jesus died on the cross. He forgives our sins. We get eternal life. Salvation is ours. A 10-year-old can tell you that. But the question is, do we really get it, understand it, and have we committed ourselves to the one who offers this to us? In a group this size, there are people here this morning who feel guilty. Guaranteed. There are people here this morning who think about their own sin and have doubts about whether or not forgiveness can really be yours. The text says, and I want to make you understand this morning, that forgiveness and salvation and the eternal life and the things that even a 10-year-old can tell us really are ours. The question is, do we accept it? Do we believe it? Do we really believe it? Do we believe it so much that our life depends on it? Do you put yourself in his hands and allow that forgiveness the reception of the benefits of the eternal sacrifice offered on your behalf, do you put yourself in his hands and allow that redemption to be yours? Scripture calls us to recognize what it is that Jesus has done and to put ourselves in his hands in that way. We'll just run through some more text here. Look at this. Next slide. We have real emancipation. You can look at that text, verse 9. Or chapter 9, verse 15. It's a real freedom, an eternal freedom, a mercy that is ours in Jesus. Next slide. The text says that he does away with our sin. He takes it away. It's gone forever. Next slide. He makes us perfect in verses 1 and 14 in chapter 10. Perfect for the first time, the chance to be complete and one with him. Chapter 10, verse 2 in the next slide. The eradication of guilt. And finally, in chapter 10, verse 30, we've been made holy in him, purified, sanctified, one with him. Now, folks, those are promises. Those are the promises of Christ. And it's these promises, the holiness, the sanctification, the purity, the forgiveness, the eternal nature of it, 
It's those promises which set apart this new covenant that we follow from the old covenant the Jews followed. When you don't believe this, as a Christian I mean, like when your guilt weighs you down, when you don't continue to really believe this, when you don't accept it by faith, when you think to yourself, boy, I wonder if on that great day I'm really going to be His. I wonder if I'm really going to have salvation. I, I wonder if He's going to forgive me of, and you name the sin. If you still have doubts about that, let me assure you, let me guarantee you that this salvation that He's promised is yours in Jesus and it's found no place else. And let me assure you that the guilt that you sometimes feel can be taken away by faith and commitment to Jesus. I don't know of a human life that doesn't at times feel guilty about their sins. The Hebrew writer makes, wants to make sure that none of us feel that way. I pray you don't. I pray that by faith you believe this promise, that you accept it, and recognize what it is that Jesus has done for you. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for loving us like you do. Thank you, God, for doing all the things that you do for us in Christ. Thank you for the eternal, perpetual sacrifice that was made on our behalf. Thank you for the eternal Forgiveness that is ours, so that even as I sin, your forgiveness washes away that sin. Thank you for the freedom from guilt that we experience. Thank you for the relationship that we have with you. Through Christ we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing.